This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. the Math Ed Podcast. I'm Susan Empson from the University of Missouri and a guest host for this episode. Joining me is Elizabeth Fenema, an emeritus professor from the University of Wisconsin at Madison and one of the preeminent scholars in the field of mathematics education, making many substantial contributions to the scholarly literature as early as the 1960s. She was one of the first women researchers in mathematics education, a co-founding researcher of Cognitively Guided Instruction, and a member of the National Academy of Education. And she also happens to be a personal friend and mentor of mine and someone I admire very much. Liz, thanks for speaking with me. Well, that was quite a nice introduction that I hadn't heard for a while. Well, let's start back at the beginning of your career. Could you talk to us about how your career in mathematics education research began? You're really asking me to go back a long way, (laughs) Susan. Well, it was almost accidental that I did that uh, in many ways. I sometimes wonder how much good planning. But I came back to getting my Ph.D. sort of accidentally, and then when I got there, the only person I really wanted to work with was there to evolve and he was in math education. I'm, all of my education at that point had been in general education, a lot of curriculum theory, which was lots of fun to study, but I never could figure out what good it was in the schools. So when I came back and saw something as narrow as math education, I thought, that's how I can figure out the answers. So I stayed in math education. And that, I sort of, I was not a mathematics major, which was difficult at times for me, but on the other hand, it was a wonderful career. What were some of the most memorable aspects of graduate school for you and your work with Vera DeVault? I had in the 1940s and 50s what quote-unquote housewives did was to stay home and raise children and make a beautiful home for their husband, and I had bought in that entirely, even though I already had my master's degree. Well, that was beginning to uh, wear on me. I remember hanging up diapers one day and looking up at the beautiful sky and said, is this all there is going to be to my life? (laughs) So when they needed somebody to help supervise student teachers in at the university, I jumped at the chance, and I wasn't there more than a week till I knew I was hooked. I had to do something like that if I wanted any fulfillment in my life. So that's how it happened that I went where I did. Could you say a little bit about what the focus of your dissertation research was? Well, that was so long ago, and while I was related to all my later work, it sometimes seems unrelated. I worked with actually with manipulatives, trying to find out if concrete materials, as we call them then, would in any way make the learning of children better. And I didn't think about anything else but better. So that's what I was looking at. The tool I used was Cuisinera rods. And it was fun doing the dissertation. And I found out just what I expected. It was not the rods themselves, but whether the children understood what was going on. And then uh, were there any ways in which, uh, what are some of the ways in which your early work connected with the new math movement of the era? Uh, well, keep in mind that my gender work came along next. 
And uh, that was really what made me who I am, I think. You know, I had no idea that I would ever go into anything to do with gender, even though it was very hot at that time, but I felt I had the perfect world. What did I need to do? But until a friend of mine who asked me to write a chapter for a book she was doing about women and educational research, and I thought, well, I don't want to do that. I didn't know anything about it. But she finally persuaded me when she said to me, Liz, you're the only one in the whole school that can do this. So I thought that began to make me open my eyes a little bit. And then what did I do but go into mathematics to look for this because that was the area I knew best. So I started there, and in it I found that boys were always expected to do better than girls. They would have such comments. Of course, boys did better than girls. And no one was doing anything about it. They weren't even interested. And I became an avid feminist right then. Uh, yeah. But what really happened was uh, a good friend of mine, Julia Sherman, who was a psychologist, and I were sort of talking about doing a research study together. But it's hard to do any kind of educational research without good funding. And so I happened to find out that the National Science Foundation was sponsoring research related to women in mathematics. So it seemed to be natural for me to get into that. So we did the very first studies on the Venema Sherman studies that uh, opened my eyes. I saw what I expected to find. But once again, nobody was doing anything about it. And I saw immediately that this was the foundation that I needed because it was hard research. It justified everything that had been said about women in math, not learning it as well as boys did. So that's, how, that's what started the very first studies I did, the Fenema Sherman studies on gender and mathematics. And there was a whole series of reports that came out about that. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect segue to my next question. What was it like being a woman in a research field that was at the time predominantly male? Well, you know, Susan, not very much about it. I was a busy woman at that time, and I had always, my intellectual work had always been with males. I really didn't think much about it. And it happened to be at the University of Wisconsin where they were very accepting. But I didn't realize how badly it must have been until sometime after the CGI studies came up that one of my best friends said to me, Liz, I'm really delighted that you're back in the mainstream of research, as if all the other research that I had done on gender was not worth anything. And I began to realize, hey, maybe not only was I a woman in the field of math education, but I was doing research on gender and math, which they didn't think was very important. And at that time, it, I was sort of furious, but what do you do about something like that other than keep on and make sure whenever you talk about your CGI work, you mention the gender work. So anyhow, uh, it was more lonely from that point on. I do think that there were times I was discriminated against, but I didn't have time to really worry about it, Susan. I had too many important things to do. So I guess you have to be made of iron in order to do something like that. And I certainly was. Mm. 
I'm speaking with Liz Fenema about her career in mathematics education. Let's talk about your work on the Cognitively Guided Instruction Project. All right. What do you think it was about CGI that led to its impact on both research and practice? Well, I I think on practice certainly it was a fa- it was a way that we approached teachers. <laughs> I know one teacher to ask me a question, then she'd laugh and say, "I know what you're going to say, Liz. You're going to say, what do I think the answer is?'" In other words, we did not give much information except some very precise information about how children learned mathematics and how they thought in mathematics, which, of course, is the basis of Tom Carpenter's work. We tried to tell teachers how to teach, and then after we had done this for about a year, I finally came to the group meeting where we were meeting, and I said, I can't do what I'm supposed to do. I was writing curriculum material. I said, I can't do it. I said, here we go around believing that children have their own thoughts and their own minds and their own background and can solve And yet we believe that about teachers. Well, I believe it about teachers. We've got to give this information to teachers about how children think about mathematics and then study what they do with it. I think they will do a good job. So it was me saying that I can't do something, and that was a big chunk of not admitting something that I couldn't do, but it just didn't make rational sense. It had taken me quite a while to come to that, but I think that's what had the impact on teachers, was the fact that we recognized that they were professionals in their field, that they knew a lot more about teaching than we did and that we had to help them learn some very specific information, and then that would be helpful to them. And that's why it's had the impact that it has. And obviously that approach has worked, although it is also one of the drawbacks of CGI, because to learn CGI, it takes teachers a long time to learn the content material, even though it's just the how children think and applying it, and then to apply it in classrooms. So it's not a quick fix. It takes a long time. And as a result, CGI goes slowly. But once it starts someplace, it seems to take hold with a vengeance that the teachers themselves are the biggest sellers of it. And it is going slowly, but it's still going uh, very well. In fact, I heard yesterday that they had just started a CGI program in Texas somewhere. So that's a good big state to be thinking about. And could you talk about what you brought to the project when CGI started and as it, um, you know, when it was funded to conduct research? What did you bring to the project that complemented what the other researchers brought to it? What was your distinctive role in making CGI what it was? What had happened, there were three quite advanced researchers that were both, all three, sort of floundering for what to do next. I had finished the gender work that I felt I could do without doing a lot of thought about it, and uh, Tom Carpenter at that time had completed fairly well his work on addition and subtraction with children, and Penny Peterson was thinking even about moving jobs. So the three of us got together with a and said that since the emphasis in mathematics education research was on combining teaching and learning instead of studying one or the other, we had the ideal mechanism to study teaching and learning together. 
so of course Tom brought the learning aspect and I was the one who brought the teaching aspect. The tail end of my gender work that I had done, I had been doing a lot of work with teachers and studying what they were doing and I had those kinds of qualifications, although Penny certainly supplemented them. And then of course Penny was a research. We mustn't leave Penny out was a researcher and could do all the involved statistical stuff that Tom and I would just assume she would do. So the three of us complemented each other very well. And we got a large uh, National Science Foundation grant to look at that in a, for a three-year period. So that was the start of CGI. And that grant was awarded in 1985, I believe. Well, if you say it was, I believe you. It's been too long ago. It's too much water under the bridge. <laughs> In NCTM's volume on the classics and mathematics education research, they included your 1977 AERJ study on sex-related differences as a classic in the field. I was wondering if you consider this your seminal piece of research, or are there other works that stand out in your memory as studies that you're particularly proud of? Well, I have been fortunate that most of my research has not been individual pieces of work. I did a whole series of studies on sex-related differences in mathematics, and the one that you quoted was sort of the culmination of all of the rest of them. And then I moved on to the CGI work, and of course we did a tremendous number of studies, all of which were related and quite often based on the same period of time in the same classrooms just a different aspect. So I've always been fortunate. My research has been a big group of studies rather than one. And in educational research where most people don't have the money to do that sort of thing, it's very difficult to do that kind of research. So final question, and you don't have to take it too seriously. Oh, good. If you had not worked in mathematics education research as a career, what can you imagine yourself having done instead? Oh, you sent me that question, and I've pondered that a great deal. It's not one I've really thought about very much. As at this point in my life, I'm quite content with the way my life turned out. My children turned out very good. well. Um, all the research I did has had an impact of one kind or another, and I've had wonderful colleagues and students with whom to work. So I don't know what I would have done, Susan. It's difficult to think how anything could have been better. I'm very happy with the way my life turned out. And I think there are many, many other people who are very happy with the way your work turned out. Liz, I'd, I'd like to take the time now to just personally thank you for the work in the field, your tremendous contributions, and not least your mentorship of me. It's um, really, really meant a lot, and it's been an honor. Well, you were easy to be a mentor for, Susan. I'm proud of you.